Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. We are in a special series. We're taking a pause from the Gospel of Luke, and we're in a series that we're calling Taste and See, talking about our embodied worship. And our goal, the stated goal for this series, is that we would honor the importance of our embodied experience as we're in the here and not yet. Jesus has ushered in the kingdom, but the fullness of the kingdom is yet to come. So as followers of Jesus, how do we understand all of our lives that can be embodied worship to the Lord. The goal here is that we would remember how all of our lived experience can be worship way beyond our Sunday time gathering together. And so just a quick recap, I know, um, you know not everybody's here every week. So week one, we really started off rooted in the importance of an embodied Jesus. The fact that our savior has been embodied himself and has experienced, is experiencing humanity Um, and redeeming it. It's a really, really big deal. So a core passage for this whole series is Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So we wanted to start with a right understanding about the importance of our embodied experience, remembering that Jesus, God's self, came into not only experience real, messy human but to redeem it. And that Jesus today is still marked in his humanity with the marks of his wounds from that experience. That informs that our our marks of our wounds in this messy human experience, um, they're important. They matter to our Savior. They just someday will no longer uh, deter us. Um, but, but, But those marks of our wounds still matter. So, and we know that the importance of this embodied experience is that the Lord Jesus told us after he ascended to heaven that uh, the Holy Spirit would dwell in us in these messy, frail, sometimes not what we thought they would be bodies, right? And so 1 Corinthians 6.19, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God. So that's why we're talking about this as something that mattered. And then last week, uh, Dr. Scott McKnight came and he taught us about what it looks like for our welcoming and our gathering together to be embodied worship. So when we consider what the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male or female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. That doesn't take away the particularities of what we are as humans, male or female, whatever. It's just saying those no longer have like a ranking of value associated to them. And we can agree to that in theory, but last week he took us through the situation, the letter that Paul wrote as the escaped slave Philemon came back and, I'm sorry, opposite, slave owner, and Onesimus came back. And now the two of them needed to not just agree to that in theory, they needed to figure out what it looked like to share coffee together on a Sunday morning as slave and free right? And so this is what it meant. Like, how are you going to welcome and gather in the real grittiness of real life? And it was a radical call. That's why we phrased that as embodied worship, when we can do that messy stuff well. And that's why we're talking so much about the body and embodiment in this, is that it's not just theory. It's living it out in real 
ways, our faith in our humanness and not trying to escape our humanness for something spiritual, but, but these things need to be integrated in our lives together. So today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about a posture of surrender in response to the way of Jesus as being part of our worship. So I'm just going to pause and um, pray over us first. Uh, Jesus, we love you and we trust in you and... Um, I pray that you'll take anything that's confusing or distracted in my mind or in my words and just clarify it for your purposes. We want to be shaped to be like you in response to your spirit. So we pray all these things in your name. Amen. So first, and I often do this, sometimes before we start a conversation, I like to start by acknowledging the ways that conversations like this may have gone wrong in the church. Because sometimes we walk into this space and as soon as I start talking with certain things, you can get your guard up and I, and I don't blame you. And so I sometimes like to start by just acknowledging where sometimes we've gone wrong. And I'm gonna start by launching off something Scott said last week. If you were here, you might remember, he was talking about the way of Jesus doesn't deny power dynamics. Instead, it, we look at power dynamics and we say, okay, how do I not take power over or power for my own purposes, how instead do I use any power in any dynamic and say, I'm gonna use my power for or towards the flourishing of another? Because that's the way of Jesus. That's what Jesus did. And so launching from that understanding of um, a posture of the way of Jesus, why do I bring up power dynamics in a conversation around surrender? I think that sometimes passages about denying oneself, dying to self, submitting to one another. Sometimes these, they sound like good surrender passages, and actually they really are. We won't unpack all of them. They really have a lot of beauty to them. But I believe that sometimes they have been misused by the one who has more power to shame the other one into submitting to the way that the powerful one wants. Did you follow that? It's, it's not a healthy way. I'm gonna give you an example. And um, so sometimes you hear surrender, and you're like, that's just like, conform or something because it's the person who has more power trying to use these words to get you to do what they want. A real life example, a pastor friend of mine years and years ago was in another church, I don't even remember what state he was in, and he was uh, newly married with, well newly, you know, a couple years married, young kids, stressful time at home. And I can't remember if it was Advent or Lent, but it was one of those like work weeks for a pastor that's super full, and they were just working him to the bone, and his wife was, it was not doing okay at home. She was super stressed, she needed some help, and he went to his pastor and said, I need to go home, I need, I, this is a lot right now and my wife needs help and the pastor said Jesus will have to be your wife's husband this week and that is spiritual shaming by a boss to get what I can't say no to anyway you're my boss right now you just spiritually shamed me so I'm naming that kind of stuff because that's that's misuse of what the scriptures are talking about that's out of context and that's not okay and so I just have to say that when these passages are misused when talk of surrender is misused to control the one with the less power in a dynamic that's not the way of Jesus and that's not what these passages are about. I like to name that up front. So I want to make sure we're starting with a healthy understanding of Christ-like surrender. And when we're talking about that, we're talking about surrender that is willing and you are empowered to decide for yourself surrender. That's why we started with Philippians 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, 
Jesus is God, did not consider equality with God something to use to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Jesus, God's self, did that willingly. And from the place of ultimate power, he surrendered power for the good of another. And that's why that's so extraordinary. And we don't want that to get lost on us in talking about Christ-like surrender. Every act of Jesus surrendering his will to the will of the Father was done by Jesus Christ who held ultimate power and authority. That's a big deal. Matthew 18, 28, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And we see Jesus from that place deciding to follow the will of the Father, of his own free will, of his own decision, to surrender, kneeling in anguish. Lord, if this cup could be taken from me, but not my will, but yours be done. That's the ultimate surrender by the one who has ultimate power and authority, right? So that's the posture that we're talking about with healthy Christ-like understanding of surrender. That prayer isn't like, I really would prefer not to, but it's no big deal, you pick. That's not the tone at all. Like drops of blood were dripping like sweat. So when we're talking about surrender, I want you to just really hear this first. We're not talking about coercion or manipulation. We're not talking about a tool of the more powerful used to demand following of direction, right? That's just like, you know, subjugation or following the orders of the one who has the ultimate say anyway. That's different. So we're talking about a willful posture of surrendering in response to following in the way of Jesus. And that means like an open-handed surrender to the way of what God is leading us in, right? That's like, I'm open-handed, God, to your will. And it also, in a Christ-like way, means the lifting up of others towards God's will of their flourishing. So it's giving of self towards the good of another. So how do we learn what that surrender looks like from the example of Jesus? What is that kind of surrender? Because it's important to just note, I'm not just talking about giving something up for the sake of self-denial. I mean, that might be like a good practice, but that, that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. But it's also not just surrendering to everyone, everywhere, every time anything comes up. You know, that like doormat version of just take it, you're a Christian. Like that's not what the Bible is teaching at all. And so I remember one time a friend of mine when we, we were having a situation where someone was coming at us and I was like, I think we're just supposed to like take it. She's like, you're, you're a Christian, not a doormat. Jesus never called you to, you know, and it was just an eye-opening. Like what we're surrendering to is the will of God and God's will, we won't be asked to surrender to something antithetical against the will of God. Does that make sense? So that's really important. So it can mean giving up everything. It doesn't often mean that, but we see that from the, the martyrs. We see that from Jesus. It, we, that's why we need discernment. It often doesn't look like giving up even your life, but it can be. But it has to be Christ-like surrender, which isn't just giving up. It's a release towards something that pleases God. That's what makes this category surrender is worship. It's towards God's plans and purposes. It's giving up towards what God would have for you and trusting that that's better even than anything that you could hold on to. And so that's why it's important to look at like, well, how do I know? What's the God worship surrender versus the just, 
and you know, giving up everything, not being wise and discerning surrender. And for this, I don't have an actual formula. I just sit back and look at the way of Jesus in moments when he surrendered. Maybe he was on one path and God interrupted and he chose to stop with that interruption, but maybe didn't choose with another. Or those kind of situations, right? And you know, faced with a, a room full of ill people, how did he pick? What were some observations in the surrender in the way of Jesus? And I just observed two things that I want to share. Number one, when Jesus was making these decisions, he was responding to the will of the Father as prompted through the Holy Spirit. So what you see in the life of Jesus is a dependence on, an expectation of, and a response to the active participation of the Holy Spirit in the life of Christ. From the moment that the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus in the moment of his baptism, we know there's this like special anointing, and then following out of that, he goes and makes sure to spend time praying to the Father, being in communion, so that he, could, he could be responsive to that Holy Spirit to guide, to know what the will of the um, the father was Jesus said uh, being anointed by the spirit he said my words are not my own what I'm telling you is from the father who sent me John 14 24 and so he knows that that's the case because he's there's a triune participation happening in the life of Jesus that we see Jesus trusts the spirit and so he's surrendering to the promptings of the spirit knowing that he's in the father's will and from that place he feels safe to surrender in that in that triune participation, even to the point of walking to the cross. There's an enormous amount of trust that even if I'm not loving this plan right now, that I am walking in the will of the Father prompted by the Spirit and I can give up all from the safety of knowing that this is a triune participation. And that triune participation is now extended to us through the passage that I read earlier, right? The Holy Spirit is now in us. I'm gonna read a little bit from John 16, starting in 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, Jesus is telling this to his followers, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. What, you don't even need to follow that org chart because it sounds a little confusing listening to that paragraph, right, on how that works. It's triune participation. That's what Jesus was doing, and now we're invited into it. Every now and then, I share a book or a thought with you from somebody else just because, number one, we don't want to just be learning from me, and I commit to you that we're not. Uh, there's other voices here. But number two, some of these topics are like question mark for you, and there might be people who want to learn a little bit more. I would highly recommend this book, uh, Luke Timothy Johnson, Prophetic Jesus, Prophetic Church. And he's talking about that we've been in Luke, and prior to this, we were in the book of Acts. This is Luke Acts, and the challenge of this prophetic lifestyle that is Jesus's that is then given to the church and now to us what he's saying is that this is a challenge to us the way of prophecy is living in your body in response to the spirit to God's will Jesus did this beautifully we are called to do it too and so anyway it's a really good book if you're kind of like I don't understand this response to the spirit way of living it gets really um, tangible in the ways but anyway the challenge to the church is to do the same, not just to look up to the example of Jesus. It's to actually live out this same thing. I love how um, Luke Timothy Johnson says it. He, I love long made up words. Like he makes the word phrase of, this is prophecy as way of being in the world. 
living. I love that. That's what it's talking about. And so what he says here, a couple quick things that kind of struck me as he said them, and then he gets more and more into how to actually live this out. But he says, uh, followers of Jesus are shown by Luke to be fully and perhaps even more radically prophetic than Jesus himself. So this is not like a a thing for for previous. He's saying this way of responding to the spirit is is in surrender to the will of God. This is the prophetic witness we do in our bodies. And he says this, the Jesus movement does not conclude with the death of Jesus, but continues with even greater energy and power in his spirit-filled successors. That's when we're living in a posture of true surrender to the will of the Father by uh, responding to the Spirit. And at this point, you might be saying, like, great, but how do I know if I'm hearing from God? How do I know if this is the will of the Father? I would say there's a few things that help. Number one, lots of prayer. You seep in prayer not just about the topic that you're seeking after, but just in your life. You're just talking about things with God, listening, uh, uh, expressing gratitude, uh, acknowledging who God is to yourself and to God. There's just an ongoing way of a life of prayer helps a lot. Because the more you foster a life of prayer, the more you come to feel familiar with the voice of God. And I include in this prayer that prayer of posturing that says, not my will, but yours. That posture is a hard one, but it's really important. Andy and I recently, I didn't use that phrase, but Andy and I recently had a situation come up and we were like, I don't know if this is the right thing or not. And we, I started praying, God, if it's not, will you block it? Because I am not understanding if it's a yes. I just need you to tell me if it's a no. And when the door closed a few days ago and I checked in with Andy, like, how are you feeling? He's like, you know, disappointed, but at peace. And I realized that's the kind of thing that happens when it's, it is a moment of like this, block it if it's not, is also a way to know it because sometimes the neon light isn't there. So that's just an idea. But that, that's that posture that if I ask you to block it and it gets blocked, I don't have to fight white knuckled against that. I can release that. I can surrender that thing I wanted because I'm trusting that you were faithful to that prayer to block. Another thing that I would say too is community discernment helps a lot. Bring the subject to a group of people who are also people of prayer and who are listening and longing to follow after the way of Jesus, even if it's hard sometimes, and say like, hey, I want to surrender to the will of the Father. I'm not sure if what I'm hearing is this or if it's my own desire. So like, can you just either pray with me or just like listen to me talk and see if anything is highlighted for you that would, you know, like if, and just, just go ahead and bring that into community. So there's so many reasons community is important. And that's one of them. But then this thing I would say as a second observation is like, okay, what if it still isn't feeling clear to me? One other observation I would give you from the life of Jesus is one of the ways he surrendered to the will of God is that his actions are in line with the character and commandments of God, which he knew through Holy Scripture. We know through Holy Scripture. And so that's a really good test for us. I think the commandment one is pretty straightforward. God clearly said, I should not covet the thing that my neighbor has, and I really want her lawn furniture. I know I shouldn't steal it. You know what I mean? Like, there's some that are straightforward. That's a command. I'm going to discipline myself to not do that and surrender how badly I want that because I know that would be wrong. So the commands are a little bit more clear. I think we don't need to spend as much time there, but if we want to talk through any of those, like, grab some folks, like, hey, what does the law of the Lord say about this thing? Um, but if you already know that, that, that's really good. But the second part I want to talk about, let me give you an example about knowing the character of God. 
Micah 6.8, often quoted, uh, the heart of God is that we would act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. So as one example here, if a situation comes up and you have the opportunity to reflect any part of God's character here towards the flourishing of another, you have a pretty good sense that you're acting within the will of God. Does that make sense? So if you know God's character and an opportunity comes for you to reflect that character to someone else, even at your inconvenience, that would be a good sign that you are walking in the will of God to be reflecting his character and his commandments to others in our little ways with our whatever ability size you have. So what does that look like? It would be about compassion, mercy, justice, generosity, even if something comes at a cost of us, that's the posture of surrender to say like, well, I have an opportunity to reflect God right now and let me see how I could do that. And it becomes worship of surrender. From years and years ago, um, as part of this church, we were meeting in Blaine School at the time and uh, somebody came up and called one of our pastors from Mercy Housing, it's transitional housing, and uh, their community room, the TV broke. And the result of this was that everyone was watching their tiny TVs. This is a long time ago. Like, I don't even know if there were flat screens yet. Um, but everyone was watching these itty-bitty TVs in their own rooms. And the loss wasn't just TV time. It was community. They weren't connecting outside of mealtime anymore because the community television had broken. And so Mercy Housey reached out knowing that we were kind of a young church and whatever the new technology was, like if anyone has a leftover TV that they're not using anymore, like could they donate it to our community room? And I remember this moment because I sat there thinking like that would be so cool if somebody had to use TV and we could give to them so that they could have their community room back. And what I later learned is that somebody in the congregation heard that, had been saving up for their own high-tech television and bought the tech for them and kept their old big two-box TV because of that. Like, I didn't, you guys, that didn't even occur to me to do that. You know what I mean? It was one of those moments where it was like, if you know the character of God, then you can respond in a way. It's like, how would God respond? Would he give the really good gift to the person who has something or like to the one in the margins who could never have that good gift? The father wanted to give the good gift, not of television, but of community. And so that came through a person. Anyway, so that's what I mean about know, know the character of God and that surrender in to worship. So let me go a little further into this posture of surrender, specifically in generosity. And at this point, some of you are thinking, ah, she's sneaking in a sermon about money. She's just thinking we're not going to notice. But that's okay. So I'm not afraid to talk about money. It's really important to me that we normalize the conversation about money. And again, I'm going to say there's some confusing messages about money that some people have had, money and faith, right? It goes back to the really old times of people, uh, churches, excuse me, priests, selling indulgences. That was like you literally could pay for a blessing and was messed up stuff. And you're like, well, I don't think that's okay. And there's a prosperity gospel, which links money to God's blessing, that's not biblical, that's, no, that's not it. But like, so faith and money, we get a little weirded out sometimes. And I'll tell you, for me, I just feel awkward talking about money, not about church, I have had to get over it, but when I was growing up, we were taught, like you just don't talk about money outside of family. You do not ask how much that sweater was, let alone how much that house was. You just don't talk about it. And just to be like polite, right? I don't know if my, I'm sure your church talked about money, you know, but I wasn't paying attention, I was a kid. 
did, but I didn't realize that in church, all that we have is ours. Money talk is family talk. This church entirely runs on, runs on this ministry, on the generosity of this community. There's no external anything. And so if this is our resources, we need to be paying attention to where it's going. Our partners approve a budget. We're responsible to operate within it. I don't even have access to our bank account. And you guys should know this stuff because it's our shared, this is family talk. It's not awkward to talk about money in church. So, um, that's also, by the way, why we share our giving numbers in our, uh, as uh, compared to our budget numbers every single week in the newsletter because we want to normalize talk about money. Jesus talked about money all the time. And here's the short version. I have other teachings. If you have a, a tricky relationship with church and money, um, that's fine. I have other resources. This is just a really, really short version. Money isn't good or bad. Money is a tool. It's a thing, like a hammer or a drill. It's just a thing that we use for a purpose. And so... Um, it's just, so it's not good or evil, but the use of the tool matters, and that's why Jesus talks about it a lot, because it's one particular tool that our hearts tend to get repostured towards, if that makes sense. Money just is something that can turn our hearts a little bit more easy than other tools in our tool belts. So um, our hearts can easily shift from surrender of this tool to like scarcity mindset or uh, just, uh, just love of money. So what does healthy surrender posture look like when it comes to money? Because we want to be wise with all of the resources we've been given. And that includes, you guys, by the way, our giving towards this church right now is going towards paying off a mortgage. I just want to pause and say, one, I never get excited to talk about mortgages, ever. But recently, David's laughing. He knows this. Um, recently, we were able to refinance this building. And if we can pay this off in 10 years, can you imagine what the next iteration of this church family can do with our resources if they are no longer needing to worry about a mortgage? I get excited about that because it's all about where our generosity can go. And so anyway, the reason I can't believe I just got into mortgages. Sorry. Where was I? This is why I want to talk. Oh, we want to be wise with our resources, right? Because it can't be give whenever asked. I mean, how could you go through a week in Chicago and meet that and have anything left, right? There's so much need. It also can't always be give everything. We'll talk about that. Uh, Luke 18, uh, rich young ruler, Jesus says, give away everything and he goes away sad. That's a specific scenario. And we're going to talk about it in just a couple weeks. But just note, that's not, it's not everything for everyone. That was in that situation. We know Jesus didn't ask that as a universal thing, to give every single thing up. Um, but we need to understand some of these passages. And so here's where I have another recommendation. Um, this is Catherine J. Wright, Spiritual Practices of Jesus. And she talks about a lot of the money passages within the um, living simply, simplicity part. But one of the things that stood out to me this week, I'm just going to grab this one. She talks about that whole bit of like, don't be anxious. You know, the birds have food, all of that. And if God feeds the birds, how much more? This is a very sloppy paraphrase. I'm sorry, you should have grabbed it. Um, but you guys remember it kind of? If not, the concept is that Jesus is teaching, don't worry, the birds of the air even have the food they need, and how much more does your Father love you? You can't just throw that passage at somebody who has medical bills stacking up, three kids at home to feed who just lost their job. 
It's not fair. You can't say, just don't worry. And that's not what Jesus is saying. And so, yes, if that's happening, pray. Include community. This is why we have a Barnabas fund, so we can meet each other's needs. But here's what, here, the early church was sort of known for being these people who were counterculturally redistributing wealth in their community. It was kind of a beautiful thing. They were like redistributors according to everybody's need. But here's what Catherine Wright points out about that posture, and or why I bring that up in posture. She was saying, like, the birds just don't claim ownership of the food that God provides them. What if it's just not a claiming of now it's mine? The birds go, and their posture is, oh, look, here's provision. I'm going to take what I need, and I'm not claiming any of it as being mine now. And so I think that that was really interesting to me when she pointed it out, if we're looking at this as posture of surrender or posture in this case of generosity, what does it look like to look at what God has given and not just quickly claim to all that we can and grab it and then close our fist. And so I liked the posture of the birds. Um, Jesus doesn't give a formula about these things, about money included. He actually never says 10% tithes. He doesn't give a number or anything. In fact, he honors the widow who gives a coin. Reading out of Mark 12, starting in 41, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw large amounts in, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worthy only, worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So Jesus is after the heart, right? He's after the posture. And he's honoring this as a posture of surrender because she's trusting God. Mind you, she's in the temple. She's trusting God and community of God to take care of needs. And so she doesn't have to cling on to all of the things. She can say, I want to just give to God and trust that God and community is going to take care of things. And so, again, Catherine Wright says that it would be important to think of it this way. Those who are in less dire straits should consider that they may be the means through which God cares for those who are suffering. That's the redistribution of wealth. That's the posture of surrender, which is going to be able to respond. And as she says, uh, be willing to regard others' scarcity with the same concern we would have for our own. That's the posture of surrender when it comes specifically to thoughts about like possessions or how we would redistribute that which we have for the good of one another. We have a generosity creed that we read sometimes, and it's um, uh, rooted out of 1 Timothy 6. And listen here, this posture about contentment and possessions. Um, I'm only going to read a bit of it. I recommend you read 1 Timothy 6 and think heart posture. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Note, it doesn't say money is. It's heart posture. Love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. 
And so that's talking about our heart posture towards this tool. And that's why we're using this full body embodied language, right? Because it doesn't, it's not just about our treasure, right? It's about talents, our gifts, our time, our other resources, your spare bedroom, my hot meal that I just bought downtown that somebody else actually needs more than me when I'm walking back to my office with it. It's all of the things towards the flourishing of others. That's why we're phrasing it as a whole posture, right? So sometimes it means surrendering resources. Sometimes it means surrendering our will, but it's just being ready to be responsive and to be in tune with what God is doing so we can be a part of that open-handed flourishing toward, right? The building up toward somebody else flourishing. I'm gonna wrap up with this. So this week I was very, very fortunate to tag along Andy at a business trip. And I was like, ooh, I know I can work remote. And so we went to the Pacific Ocean and he went to a conference and I did not. And it was lovely. And I was standing at the Pacific Ocean this week. Again, I was very fortunate. It's always humbling and just awe-inspiring to stand and just see that vastness and to just wonder at God's creation. I just, I love water to begin with, but like that expansiveness just blows my mind. And as I was thinking about this sermon and standing in that place, I just stood there and was like, how do we know the will of God? Like we go back to Genesis one and two. We go back to the story where God walks in the cool of the garden with his created man and woman together. It's not a marriage passage, it's a humanity passage. Seeing men and women together, what does it look like for you to come and take care of this garden towards its flourishing? Take care of one another towards flourishing. That's, that's the desire. God gave that mandate to humanity so that we would represent God's creative self to this world. The earth, the animals, the veggies that we're growing, and one another. All of it that we would represent and that we would toil towards flourishing. And that, when I was standing there, I was just like, that's what open-handed surrender means. God, keep me in line with the fact that you want flourishing. That's a really big deal, a flourishing of all of this creation. Come into the garden, work it, and take care of it and each other. Genesis 2.15. So if we're stewards of all this creation, working with God and for God's purposes, that means that we just really understand that actually living with an open-handed readiness to respond in surrender towards those plans and purposes is how we actually do the joining God and the renewal of all things. And it feels doable, in our little pockets, in our little ways when we think of it like that, a towards. And I'm, I'm gonna close with this sort of as my prayer because as I was having my super stressful week um, in Huntington Beach, I was reading the Gospel of John as my own quiet devotional time. And in John 4, 20 thing, 23, something stood out to me. The time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. And that's my, my prayer for us. As I was praying and walking the beach, I was saying, what does this look like to worship in spirit and in truth? My translation has this uh, passage have spirit lowercase, meaning my spirit, right? And it's not a capital T truth, meaning Jesus. It's meaning what, how do I walk in spirit and in truth? And the way that I feel like I'm doing it is my spirit responding to the Holy Spirit of God, united and free and flourishing and responding in that way. Again, Timothy, uh, Luke Timothy, 
Timothy Johnson says this, the spirit-led person, and again, in this one notice, it's lowercase s that he's being intentional with. The spirit-led person's own character conforms to the word of God, meaning the prophet lives out bodily the vision for humanity that God intends. Do you catch that? Like when we're uniting our spirit in the truth and united with the Holy Spirit, then we get to live out in our bodies the way that humanity is as God intended it to be. And so my prayer for us this morning is that we will be ready to respond to the promptings of the Spirit, knowing and responding to the character and commandments of God. And from that place of trust, we can be ready to join Jesus in truly praying, like not my will, but yours be done. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would um, take this this call to our hearts and let it feel real. Uh, Not words, not just like churchy talk. Um, Even though we're here gathered as, as your people, we are the church. And, and this, this stuff matters as your presence here and now. So God, give us real ways to respond to you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your commandments. We thank you, God, for your character. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. And we pray and gather and continue to worship in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.